welcome to a very special episode of Cinebabble. Just continuing to close out the holiday that is Halloween, we decided, Clint and I, that we were going to take a, a look, an episode-by-episode look at Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is up on Netflix. Uh, as always, I am your host, Ken, and I am joined by uh, another Cabinet of Curiosities over here. Clint Jones, say hello to the world. Hi, world. I'm a mystery, Ken. You really are. You're a mystery wrapped inside of a... Enigma, Enigma in, in like riddle? draped in a riddle, draped maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's it's uh, it's something where we we have kind of a love hate relationship with Guillermo del Toro because, uh, well, that's, oh, that's not, not hate. No, maybe yeah. a baffle. I'm like a little baffled sometimes. I think he's a delightful human being. Yeah, me too. I would love to say that Guillermo del Toro is my neighbor and I just go over for dinner for sometimes because he seems like a blast of a human being. But when it comes to his films, sometimes I struggle mm-hmm. because uh, I, I have a hard time loving them as much as I want to. Me too. Everything about them I want to love, but then sometimes I struggle. Is that a, a better way to put it? Exactly. And it's the same like feelings I have towards like Kevin Smith. Yeah. Like, and we yeah. both just watched um, Clerks, the 3. Clerks 3. And I feel like I had the exact same reaction to him where it's like, I want him to succeed and I want to love the things he does. And then the recent string of movies, I'm just like, oh, yeah. oh well. But we're a fan of an anthology series. Uh-huh. And an anthology series kind of, you know, hosted and, and cultivated by Guillermo del Toro sounded Kind of fun. Yeah. And it's not him making all of the episodes. Uh, I believe he chose these stories and then found filmmakers and allowed them to just sort of run with their own styles. And uh, each episode feels, I think, very different yeah. than than the one that comes before it. And so it's, it's a nice little – I like anthologies because if episode one doesn't work for you – Episode two is a clean slate. And if episode two doesn't work for you, you could watch all of them. And if there's yep. just one gem in there, you know, it's it's still worth the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think the best way to to go about this is just to sort of go down through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. And then we can talk about our favorites at the end. Uh, Clint, first of all, did you did you get the Alfred Hitchcock vibe with Guillermo del Toro showing up at the beginning of every episode and doing kind of the introduction? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I never watched, like, didn't he have a, like, he a had anthology? A series yeah, and, I never and then watched what's that. what's his name that did the Twilight Zone? Used to do the same thing, Rod. Yeah. Sterling? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely got that feeling. Yeah. And I, I, I'm a big Twilight um, Zone fan. Yeah. Um, so I did, I was on board with that. I like the, also just how he decided to do that with the actual cabinet. I thought it, that was really cool. And yeah. it, it wasn't just designed for each episode. It was something where you could see yeah. the drawers from other episode introductions right. on different sides of the cabinet. And it just made, it made me think like, I know his level of detail on that kind of stuff and um, the practicality of things like made me wonder, like maybe it's not, but like, did they actually build this cabinet for him that had, it, it, it feels they like might it. have. It and, really feels and. I, I thought that was a really nice yeah. like thing at the center of the series to start it off every time. That was really cool. Yeah, like an yeah. element from the show, like a like a little memento, and then like the director's statue. That was cool. Yeah. I found myself getting excited each time 
the item that he holds up at the beginning then would show up in the episode. And you know it's coming, but it was just – sometimes it was a little more obvious, but most of the times it was – how in the world is this right. item going to result in a horror story? Yeah, and uh, and I appreciate that. Now, do you do you consider all eight of these episodes horror episodes? Um, or is it truly like Cabinet of Curiosities that sometimes it's it's something not necessarily horror, but it's it's just something weird? Or I'd say that there's I mean there's lots of different like sub-genres within horror. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, they all have horror elements. Okay. Maybe if they're not directly a straight horror movie with jumps and everything. Yeah. Like I, I horror, sci-fi, it's all kind of muddled together in there. Um, for me, it, it, it definitely felt like a horror anthology. Okay. Well, let's dive right into the episodes. Episode one is called Lot 36. And the director of this one is Guillermo Navarro. And this is actually based on a short story uh, by Guillermo del Toro. And uh, he co-wrote the the screenplay for this. Mm. But it's basically about this xenophobic right-wing veteran named Nick who purchases the rights to an abandoned storage room lot and uh, finds some interesting things inside. Uh, and eventually things go awry. Uh, Clint, what would you think of, of Lot 36? I... <sighs> Uh, what's the, the the actor's name? Um, oh, that's an I excellent question. For, always Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson, who I always really like him and yeah. everything I see him, him in. He's, he, he plays a really good kind of right wing. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of I, I always get the feeling of somebody you run into in like a West Virginia or Kentucky or he's right. just got that country fried streak on he's it. He's very believable yeah. in that role. Yeah. Um, but he's also this actor who can like do other things. Like you can believe, like, I don't know, he's a shapeshifter in that way. Yeah. You can believe him in other things, yeah. not always pigeon to that. Wasn't he Chrome Dome and uh, the Watchmen series that we really liked? Yeah. Yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know his name wasn't Chrome Dome, but he had like the, the, <laughs> the liquid m- metal looking mask. mirror mask. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would say like just – from the start with all of them, I feel like they did a really great job casting to yeah. kind of elevate the whole series. And to start off this one with him, that was a nice kind of um, start to the whole mm-hmm. thing and like kind of gave you a peek into what we're in store for. Yeah, there's a lot of character actors in this yeah. anthology that you're like, oh, it's that guy from that thing. And you might not remember their name, but right, right. Yeah. But it's like you always kind of enjoyed them in the yeah. in the roles they'd had previously, but it's cool to see yeah. them kind of yeah. at the center of it. Um I thought this was a decent one. I mm-hmm. think the um like xenophobic, like right wing element of it was kind of messy and that like it's I did a little on the nose. It was on the nose and I didn't quite understand what like if they're trying to say something about like like the larger state of mm-hmm. things currently going on, especially with the horror element of it. Or like just maybe it was like him being kind of so in, in his way like set in his ways that he's willing to look past these things that he's finding and experiencing that it's just like, that's a part of life. And he doesn't like, like the whole, like they're finding, he's finding like Nazi memorabilia and the, it's not that he's horrified by it. He's willing to make a buck off of it. And maybe, I don't know, they're, they're trying to say something about that. And, um, but 
actually, I did enjoy where this one goes. I think it's it's definitely one of my least favorite of this, mm-hmm. but that's not saying anything against it. Cosmic horror is a really hard yeah. genre yeah. Uh, in horror, and, and Lovecraftian horror is very hard to realize on screen. Yeah. I was kind of with this episode until the end when you finally get your emergence of of horror yeah. or your your creature or whatever you want to call it. And um, it just – it sort of lost me there. I think for some reason my imagination when I go into Lovecraftian stuff is is so much more I – don't, I don't even know how to word it. It's just really hard – for that to be visualized on screen in a way that creeps me out. When I'm reading a story, yeah. like if I was reading this as a short story, uh-huh. what I saw in my head would have really bothered me. And this would have been a more effective, I think, story and character study. But once it's put up on the screen, I just I have a harder time with it. I thought it was like a decent version of that, though. Yeah. I, yeah. As far as like trying to represent that Lovecraftian horror, like yeah. I thought it was a better version of it than I've seen in other things. I I did like the element of like, I I am like, I like like, um, like magical realism Mm -hmm. and all in that element of like an ordinary life and behind the scenes of it, there's this hidden thing that Mm -hmm. we're not seeing that, but once you see it, it's kind of clear as day. Mm -hmm. And I like that element of this very ordinary job that this man has. And it's kind of humdrum. And like, he's just, like he's trying to make a buck wherever he can, and he's found this niche of like turning over these storage units, and I really like that uh, that just very normal element. And behind it, there's something hidden behind the wall, yeah. and that I thought was a really good setup, especially when it spends so much time with this character. Yeah, um, I think it could have maybe spent more time with the horror side of it rather than like this thing gets out, it kills him. Yeah. Um, it, it ended very abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. I think they could have just put a little bit more into that side of it. I did like the, like the little nods to like how this thing got there. The yeah. previous owner kind of uh, taking care of it, feeding it, all, all that stuff, like kind of, I don't know. That was, that was fun. I, I wish there was actually more to that yeah. side of it. Uh, episode two is called Graveyard, Graveyard Rats, and it's from director Vincenzo Natale. Uh, and this is based on a short story by Henry Kuttner. And Mason, who's played by David Hewlett. Hewlett, you'll recognize from maybe Stargate Atlantis uh, oh, okay. or from – it was this little indie sci-fi comedy called Nothing back in the day. Oh, yeah. I love that He movie. was in that. Oh, uh, right. But he's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. He has a very recognizable face. Uh, but he's a grave robber in desperate need of funds. And his attempts have been thwarted uh, rather comically at times by rats who uh-huh. terrify him and who rapidly swarm and remove any valuable possessions held by recently buried corpses. What would you think of Graveyard Rats? I actually had a lot of fun with this, this one. This was. This was fun. I I actually uh, really enjoyed the, the just the initial setup of this where yeah. you're meeting these other grave robbers and he yeah. and then this smooth talking man comes in saying like he works at the at the, the at this um graveyard and like swindles them out of what they've just found and I love the the realization that this man is actually in this like same Bo does these guys yeah. where he's actually doing the exact same thing. Um, 
And I, and I like the setup that he's in this hard place in his life and he is like also kind of like the first story, just yeah. trying to make a buck where he can and he's found this, uh, he's grave robbing. Yeah. And I love the, um, it feels kind of ordinary and you don't know where it's going. And he's like, and it's silly almost that he's fighting off these rats. Yeah. But I love how it continuously escalates where it's not that he's rats now giant rats now weird creature coming back to life in an underground tomb then all of it mixed together yeah yeah the rats yeah, like yeah. yeah rats are stealing the, the items no rats are stealing the bodies no rats have these giant like cavernous <laughs> caves that he gets stuck yeah. in okay there's a giant rat he's gonna have to fight off this giant rat yeah then he comes across this like almost lovecraftian scene where there's yeah. these rituals happen and there's this undead um and then yeah, then he's forced with all of it. And I love that, like, you get to the end where it does that really good thing of you think he's made it out. Like, oh. you think he's pulled one over on all of these elements, but then it pulls the rug out from under him. And, like, in a very believable way yeah. where, like, I almost believe that he had made it and yeah. that they do a great – like, I love the the twist to the end of this yeah. one. I thought it was really fun. Yeah. And that's – it's so hard to hit that balance of horror and comedy. Yeah. Especially when you're dabbling in, in potentially sillier elements. Mm -hmm. But I thought this one really hit that balance. And – this one, I struggled with it first because I was expecting, I think for some stupid reason, a darker anthology and a more granded, grounded uh, anthology. Uh -huh. And it just hadn't occurred to me that, no, this is going to be lighter and more fun and it's going to play in these subgenres of horror. And I, I came to appreciate that over the series, but it, it at first, this was the first episode that threw me for a little bit of a loop. Oh, okay. Um, but by the end, I just I really enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of of Hewlett though. Uh -huh. uh, he's he's just a fun actor. I wish he was in more things. Um, but he he pops up in TV more than anything. But uh, he he has a really good. He reminds me of what's his name that was in Reanimator. Um, oh, okay, Jeffrey Combs. Mm. Uh, he reminds me of him with just his his sort of delivery and everything. Um, but yeah, this this was a fun one. Uh, but that led into. Go ahead. You I was going to say. say I else. I think as far as it like at the center of this being Guillermo's anthology series, I feel like this one kind of really almost nailed his aesthetic, mm -hmm. like um like the look of like the undead creature mm -hmm. and stuff felt very much in the world of like like Hellboy or something. Mm -hmm. So I think that like helped me like. I don't know. I, I was since I was going in knowing it was Guillermo. It like it had there was a Hellboy feel to it, so yeah. it felt like within his world. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, the third episode is called the Autopsy. This is from director David Pryor, based on a short story by uh, Michael Shea, and this was actually written by David Goyer, who's oh, all I, over the place yeah, TV yeah. wise. And this has F. Murray Abraham uh, is probably the most uh, recognizable, mm. but then it's got some good character actors with him. But it's about a sheriff who asks a friend uh, to perform autopsies on several miners who recently died when one of them caused an explosion, uh, and he was carrying a, a mysterious object. Mm -hmm. And this is this is an autopsy episode, and everything from <laughs> Twilight Zone to the Alfred Hitchcock series to if there's an anthology series of horror, yeah, there's an autopsy episode and here it is at episode three what'd you think of the autopsy 
I think this is definitely one of the strongest episodes. Yeah. This I, was my favorite. Was it? Yeah. Um, I there was a great like sense of like mystery to this one. Yeah. I love the like the slow realization of what's actually happening, yeah. and I wasn't let down by what it was happening. This was also reminded me. I had talked previously on our uh, full episode about the movie The Hidden, mm-hmm. and there were some elements of that in yeah. this uh, where there's like this sci-fi super like not sci-fi element uh, alien thing that's going on yeah. that I thought was really fun and effective. And um, they did, they play with it a lot, especially with, um, what was his name again? The character, the actor. actor F. Murray. F, I always want to call it yeah. something, something else. F. Murray. F. Murray. <laughs> with how he plays that. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really well, well done. And um, I, yeah, I, th- I thought the mystery around this one was fun. This is one we had just talked about in episode 66, the idea of introducing familiar elements and then just finding that one yeah. cool twist or tweak that makes things feel new and and the way this alien parasite works mm-hmm. and and the last 10 minutes of this yeah because they're building and they're building and they're building and at any point they could have stopped and just let it be what it was mm-hmm. but they really found ways I I thought to make it interesting I think the only thing that distracted me in this is uh, anytime they would go internally into the body and oh. show what was going on, uh-huh. the CG was a little lawnmower man for me. <laughs> it just, oh. It didn't um, bother me, really. It, it wasn't bad. Yeah. It was just one of those, I, I would have just rather the camera stayed outside of F. Murray and just let him act. I did know? But really, I, get it. I liked why they did that, though, because yeah. there was like showing this thing kind of become trapped in its yeah. own making. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. fun. Yeah, so this was this was one of my favorites, um, and I just I, I I enjoyed everything about it, and it it had a bit of a thing vibe to it, especially with the sheriff, and and some of the other characters that I, that kept me going too. I, I really liked how it was presented, like I like the setup of it, where it starts with this event happening in this mine. Like that's another thing, like like I was saying about like these ordinary situations where it becomes extraordinary. Like this is it's like a mine that all these men go to work every day and this weird thing happens yeah. and how it's presented is like, you don't know what happens, what happened exactly. Yeah. It was kind of supernatural or alien. And, um, then the bringing in the um, the man to do the autopsy, and then the realization like of what's actually going on, and then and then that battle between this man and this yeah. whatever. Um, it wasn't just a cut and dry A to B to yeah. C. It was like let's go and jump around and yeah. tell the story in an interesting way. That's I really appreciated it for it, that. It was it was fun trying to get a latch on what the actual story was. Yeah. in that regard. And I mean, it, it it became clear. It wasn't right. confusing, no, no, no. but it first introduces all of these elements, and then it hones in on what you know the thrust of the episode was actually. Right. Going yeah, through. I liked how they broke that up. It yeah. was um, it made something that could have been lesser more interesting. Yeah. Uh, the fourth episode is called "The Outside." This is from director Anna Lily Poor, and uh, it's based on a web comic. Actually, and it's about uh, an unattractive and awkward woman who longs to be beautiful like the women in her workplace. After being invited to her co-worker's Christmas party, she's given a popular lotion, uh, skin lotion, that she becomes addicted to. Um, what would you think of the outside, Clint? 
Well, this she did the girl walks alone, home alone at night, the vampire flick. Okay. Have you ever I, seen that? Yes, and I did not connect the two. Yeah, that I think that's one of the best vampire mm-hmm. flicks that in the recent years. It's so good if you haven't seen that movie. Um, she did that, and she did this, and this is definitely my top of this series. Really, I love this one. I okay. love the sense of humor to it. I love the the characters. It felt to me like sci-fi horror Fargo. Mm-hmm. And these just like humdrum people living their lives. The one man's a sheriff, goes off and, or he's like a deputy or whatever, mm-hmm. goes off to, and his wife works at a bank. And they're just like these ordinary f- people. And I, I thought it was just... I don't know, delightful from every angle. I love that this mm. woman like just really wants to be a part of this like click of people at the bank mm-hmm. and look beautiful. They they really take their beauty uh, seriously. And she just is not willing to give up on this cream. Yeah. It, it's, it's causing horrible harm to her body. And she just, I love how she's like slowly kind of descending into like, madness in seeing things that maybe aren't really happening like where she's talking to uh what's the actor's name who dan stevens dan on stevens, the tv who's like the yeah. man who's promoting this product it reminded me of the old woman in requiem for a dream where yeah. she starts yeah, yeah yeah i love that and it's a much funnier version of requiem requiem yeah. but um i i don't know i love the where it gets really surreal with what's happening with this cream, it like mm-hmm. goes really bonkers by the end of this. And um, I don't know, I, I, I that actress who play is the main character in this. I've Kate Machucci. Yeah, she's she um, is a comedic actress. Yeah. She she had like a comedy duo where they like played music and stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of that group, but um, every time I see her, she's always delightful. And then. Um, Oh, who was the man? I'm see and Martin Star. Martin Star. Yeah, Martin Star is always fantastic, and uh, just to see him in this more kind of like ordinary role where he's not straight comedic, he's mm-hmm. a, just this guy um, was fun. Good. Well, I'm glad you love this episode because <laughs> I absolutely hated this episode, Glenn. This is like literally my eighth favorite episode. Just because, like, Bottom. why? I this reminded me of the '80s flick, The Stuff, and I do not enjoy these kind of oh, things really? at all. Oh. Anything where it's something oozy and goozy, and it does something <laughs> to your skin or it does something to your body. And I know I just raved about the blob yeah, the other week. I know, but that's totally different to me because that's a creature and it's eating you and you are dead. This becomes is a creature too, but. I I hate this stuff. This stuff just grosses me out. Okay, it grosses you out. It's not yeah. I it I'm not saying this is a poorly made episode. I'm saying me personally. Yeah. I hated this episode. <laughs> I could not get through this episode fast enough. Oh. And um there was there was no version of anything they could have done with this story that would have made me enjoy it because I just this is this is the worst of the worst creep town for me. This okay. kind of stuff just gets under my skin, pardon the pun, and and just <laughs> uh it it makes me wanna it it just makes me itchy. Yeah. <laughs> just I I, I I find it delightful. I knew from the beginning and as soon as she got that cream, because I was actually enjoying the Fargo vibe. Yeah. As soon as she got that cream. I, I felt it on the back of my neck. I'm like, <laughs> this is going where you don't want it to go, Kenny. 
And sure enough, it went exactly where I thought it was going to go. I just and, love that she like keeps talking uh, herself into it. Like, it's like, no, I got to work through it. Like, it's just the first initial, like, it, yeah. it'll be fine. Like, it'll, it'll, it won't be like this forever. Yeah. And he's, I just love Martin Starr's character of like, no, this is bad. And him just like trying to make her believe yeah. that he thinks she's beautiful, even though like she's just not seeing it in herself yeah. right now. It's, and, it's got a great Fargo-esque murder scene. It's It's got a cool ending and I, I get it. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally glad you love this episode. I did. Because it's not fair uh, for the only voice to be heard on this is how much I hated it. But wow, I hated this episode. Okay. Just you can you can have it. It's I'll good. take it all. All right. I'll take in, all the In cream. the divorce, you take episode four. I'll sm- slather myself with the cream of this episode. <laughs> episode five is called Pickman's Model. Uh, this is from director Keith Thomas, and it's based on a short story by H.P. Lovecraft, finally. Uh, and this is actually a, a pretty um, – I, I believe the original story is called Pickman's Muse, and it's actually oh, okay. a pretty famous story. Uh, but it's about an art student uh, played by Ben Barnes. Uh, who becomes friends with this very eccentric artist named Richard Pickman. And surprise, surprise. Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover's alive, you guys. I, he's, he's one of those actors I always wonder, is Crispin Glover still alive? Yes, he is. And he's still super weird, everybody. Uh, but Ben Barnes becomes friends with Crispin Glover, uh, whose horrific works of art depict demons and gruesome scenes, but mesmerize anybody that looks at them, causing unexpected consequences. Clint, what'd you think of Pickman's model? Well, this goes back to what you were saying about the first episode, where mm-hmm. they're trying to show Lovecraftian imagery, and it never is as scary as you in your mind. Yep. This is that, like yeah. by ten. Like yeah. I, the I was so like confounded by like. They're showing the like these paintings are so on the nose as oh. far as being these horrific images and are just like monsters and stuff. And it's just like it, it's why are, why are these paintings driving people mad? Why are these people these paintings driving people mad? Yeah. You could they could be confused because like nobody else in this time period is painting anything like this. Yeah. But I had the thought like at the center of this, they're talking about like this new modern wave of art in like like um, like cubist and all this stuff that like they're they're questioning and they're like wondering is this art and stuff. Yeah. I thought it would have been way more interesting if he was painting not like um, n- like real imagery. It was more like of this like. Yeah, like a surrealist cubist, um, like Jackson Pollocky, where they're not understanding it, but once you start looking at it, it starts mm-hmm. driving them mad. Yeah. Because they're already at the center of this questioning what is art and yeah. what is fitting into our I- idea of art at this time yeah. period. And so I was just like, it wasn't surprising to me. It felt like it was on the nose. If this would have been cosmic abstract art. Yeah. And it started to twist and bend as people were looking at it. And you started to hear like sound effects coming in. And and you were being given the impression that what they're looking at is doing something to their mind rather than just being given a, a creepy image and being told that it's tapping into something more realistic. Especially by the time you get to a graveyard and you see creatures kind of lurking yeah. around. And, and it was just... Um, you know, this is the short story wise. This is one of those stories that Lovecraft really used the imagination 
to prey on the idea that there is there are things in this universe that if you saw them, you're just your brain is not capable of interpreting and you go mad. Your brain doesn't know how to process what you're looking at. Yeah. And that's very easy to write. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to visualize. I almost wish if they didn't go the route you're talking about, they just didn't show it at all. It was just watching somebody stare at something you can't see. Um, but even then, I I don't think that would have been very effective either. But it would have at least, the minute you put an image up there, it, now I'm looking at it. Doesn't drive me mad. Doesn't fill me with horror. Right. It's just a weird, creepy picture. Especially when it's that on the nose. And then, yeah. like, they show the creatures, like, in the graveyard or in his house. And they're just, yeah. like, these gremlin-looking things. Like, they're not... I mean, yeah, it would be scary to see, but like in the context of all the horror that we've seen in our, if you're into horror, like in this way, it feels very benign and like uh, ordinary. And I will say, Crispin Glover's accent in this. Oh my gosh. Drove me insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like it kept jumping out of, like out of character and like i couldn't understand like it's a very new new joysy yeah it's like a like a character of a character yeah and like i couldn't understand like what okay he was was he was he driven mad by this and he's now painting it like it just seemed like he never like he was just like i'm just the guy i paint these things yeah. like i don't know i didn't understand yeah. Uh, there was this was my least favorite of them Interesting. all. Interesting, yeah. It was it was down there for me, but it most of it for me came down to the yeah the accent did not help, <laughs> uh, which I guess was just supposed to emphasize the fact that he was lower class. And here's one more reason why he shouldn't be a part of this group, and they're shunning him. But I ultimately it was here's a visualization of Lovecraftian creatures that especially the thing coming out of the well. This yeah. doesn't creep me out at all. No. And I I again I love Lovecraft stuff, but as soon as I hear it's being adapted for the screen, I can can the guy who just did Midnight Mass take anything Stephen King and Lovecraft <laughs> and just he contractually right. he has to be the one to make whatever your Lovecraft or Stephen King story is. Because <laughs> I feel like, man, it's just so hard to nail those things and ugh. Anyway, that brings us to another short story by Lovecraft, Dreams in the Witch House. And this is from director Catherine Hardwick with a teleplay by Mika Watkins. And uh, this is about um, (laughs) uh, Rupert Grint, good old uh, Ronnie the Bear from Mm -hmm. uh, Harry Potter, uh, who witnesses his twin sister as a child be dragged away upon her death to the forest of lost souls. And years later, as a grown man, he seeks to enter the location in hopes of saving her. He rents a room in the house of an executed witch, because of course, Mm -hmm. and takes an indigenous drug designed to take him to the forest. What'd you think of Dreams in the Witch House, Clint? Well, all I wrote for it was... Very average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I wasn't into this one at really at all. Like, yeah, so this Lovecraft one two punch did not punch for you at all. It it I was. This the was exact a Lovecraft story too. This is also a Lovecraft story. Oh, okay. Um but yeah, it it was it was it was interesting that of all the Lovecraft stories you could choose. Yeah. Um 
you know, there's there's not a lot here. And this is much more supposed to be about a creepy house and a weird spirit. And uh, I could not understand the rat man. <laughs> is that something? It's so it's supposed it's it's in the original story. Okay. And it was a witch's familiar. Yeah. And in the story, it's this creepy little creature that through magic has been, you know, sort of given the soul of this is uh, let me just cut to the chase this is not one of lovecraft's classic stories <laughs> okay. this is not one people hold up and say oh man uh-huh that one woo don't we all love it no like it, people love the mountains of madness and they love the the really strange surreal cosmic horror kind of stuff and when lovecraft did more just uh, you know bottom barrel horror. Yeah, I'm very surprised it is a Lovecraft because it almost it just felt like almost like a Disney film or something. He, he would play sometimes with folklore. Yeah. And when he was doing folklore, it just it didn't resonate the same way that uh I don't know. I yeah. as I was watching this, that's when I remembered the short story and I remember even when I read the short story just thinking, all right, next. Right. This is very average. Um but, you know, again, even the story is creepier when it presents elements like that than when you get this this rat man who I don't know if you noticed but the, from the face, but it's DJ Qualls, oh. who's the super thin, weird-looking guy uh-huh. who popped up on Supernatural and Breaking Bad. Yeah. And he's from some other stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's him. Oh, okay. And uh, CG did not hold up. No, again, it would like jump around on his head. Might as well have been Crispin Glover doing his weird New Jersey <laughs> accent again. Jersey, that did not work. And I get it, you know, Lovecraft's writing in that area in that time period, and so I think that's what they're trying to evoke uh, is is an authentic kind of lower class chimney sweep kind of accent. But yeah, it uh, did not work for me. No, and just the visually on this one, this one felt very glossy. In the world it set up, and it mm-hmm. was a lot of like I can now I like it does feel like it was a short story that like they maybe cut out a lot of like you were supposed to be familiar with going into it because it just felt like to me like like the Ratman felt very random. But yeah. if it's something part of this kind of greater lore of this story, then maybe it, I don't think greater lore. Okay. I mean, they really pad this one out. Yeah, okay. the, the the story did not have same with Pickman's Muse. Did not have nearly the amount of plot that gets packed into to the episode. I mean, I gathered that he was like a familiar style character, but it was just like I couldn't understand like why is it, is it this rat with a man's head? Um, it know. just felt strange. It's, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm like hyper focusing on the rat head man, yeah. but like there, it was just all together. This one just didn't grab my curiosity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that brings us to the viewing from director Panos Cosmatos, and uh, he also co-wrote this one. But it's about a wealthy recluse who invites uh, a series of of kind of different people, a musician. Like the, pro, the high level in their field, like yes. all of them, yeah. Uh, a high-level musician, a high-level extraterrestrial life-studying physicist, a best-selling author, and uh, a guy who claims to be a psychic. And he brings them in for a special viewing of something. He hasn't told them what they're going to view. He's just excited to show them this thing. Clint, what would you think of the viewing? This is my favorite one. <sighs> Good. 
I love because this is incredible. I love this one. This I yeah. think is the best thing. Um, uh, what's his name again? Panos, Panos, Cosmatos. Panos has done. Like yeah. I, I liked Mandy. Like as far as visual style, like yeah. I, I, I think this was the perfect format for him. Yeah. Where it was, it kind of forced him to have like tighten up the story because mm-hmm. of the time restraint and it had all of the elements I love about his work like visually it but was But it didn't hang on him too long. No, no, no. Yeah. Visually and it gave like like how he likes to kind of linger and like have sp- like a lot of space in his like it's no. minimalistic in this way. This had the perfect amount of it where you got a sense of all these characters mm-hmm. like Man, I will say Eric Andre is fantastic in this, mm-hmm. where like you get a pure sense that this man is in recovery, who has tried to beat like addiction, and mm-hmm. he's forced into this situation, like through the most subtle of like action and dialogue that you know who this guy is. Yeah. And that was with all of them, like where you get a sense of them and like I was so blown away by this one. Mm-hmm. Just from that, like, that was so interesting. The meeting was so interesting between yeah. all these characters. Before they even got to Be- looking at whatever he has them there to look at. Yeah. And what was was incredible to me about this, or, or, or the best thing about this was, in an anthology series where you literally are adapting some H.P. Lovecraft yeah. short stories, this felt way more Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. And had nothing to do with a short story from Lovecraft, no. but this visually uh, and and just tonally really tapped into cosmic horror mm-hmm. and that feeling of there's something we can't understand and we can't process, and it's not just going to drive us mad; it's going to do all sorts of things. Yeah, uh, this this was pure nightmare fuel for me. This was so surreal and weird and it it really made my skin crawl yeah his, uh, more than you know this one his style lended itself so well mm-hmm. to this and making it even more surreal and actually like even in that's the center scene of them meeting like and before they go in for the viewing mm-hmm. like it's actually really funny in yeah. moments like funny and tense at the same yeah. time which is a hard thing to pair together yep. but there were times i'm like peter weller is in yeah full creep mode yep. and sometimes he's disarming and charming and yep. other times it's just like is he just going to take a knife out and stab these people in the right. eye because i i could not get a bead on no, you him. couldn't get the intentions of why he actually yeah. brought them there yeah and um and then when they get to the viewing of this meteorite of this meteorite yeah. that he has found or like bought or purchased and it gets into where it goes with that, it's so horrifying and yeah. like alien and like yeah. it's familiar but new at the same time where yeah. like it feels like you actually are seeing something alien. And I, I, I really actually love the element of a, what awakens it yep. with Eric Andre kind of back in his like lowest form, like he's yeah. smoking weed around this thing and it sucks it in. And it's just like his reaction to like, I said no smoking in here. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm sorry, man. And like where it goes is so yeah. like, like um, surprising. Like when it, sci-fi or like it, it takes me back to like, um, which is not, this is not a good movie when, after seeing it with Elysium mm-hmm. where the really violent horror 
movie like elements of like what the weaponry and stuff mm-hmm. can do in that movie is so surprising and shocking. Yeah. This does that. Yeah. And it, it, but it works really well because yeah. it, like, the rest of it works really well. And it, 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 I was, this one's, I don't know, I love this one. Yeah, this is one of the the first and best times I've seen that idea of cosmic horror really strike a cosmic horror chord with yeah. me. And it, it, there was, there was no cheese or chintziness to it. No. It just, it played on the idea of of being out of control and having something attack you even attack is a, a an understatement or an overstatement at the same time it it's just, just this it's thing so un- weird this thing is just unleashed on you yeah like it's yeah. like and it's slow but what yeah. are you going to do about it and i love seeing different characters react differently you have people that just jet yeah like, nope i'm out of <laughs> here and good for them yeah uh and you have other characters that are just frozen in fear and and the consequences are different based on yep how they reacted to this unexplainable horror. And I really, act, I like the reaction of like kind of the henchman character who brought them there. Mm-hmm. And you're not quite sure of his intentions the mm-hmm. entire time. Like that was the whole, like the whole aspect of the, the whole feeling of this one. You're not quite sure of anybody's intentions. Yeah. But when... It all goes down. That guy's like, yeah, get out of here. Go. Like, I'm going to fend this off. Like, I like that just subtle. Like, there were just subtle character things in this one that made it even more interesting. And I, the end of this is fantastic where you're not sure where things are left off, but you can see what possibly could happen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was cool. Yeah. I I enjoyed this altogether. And I think this shorter format, like you said, is, is much better suited to his style than two-hour feature-length film. It actually makes me really excited to see what he does next. Yeah. yeah. Because there's elements of his filmmaking that I really, yeah. really like. Yeah. But then it's just there's things that are there just need tightened up about it. Well, and I, I think he can come across as indulgent in longer formats. Yeah. And this did not feel indulgent. This felt this was just the perfect blend of of comedy and horror and weird and character yeah. and you know, ultimately, it just horror pressed through, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, that leads us to the last episode called The Murmuring. This is from director Jennifer Kent. It's uh, based on her script, but really based on a short story by Guillermo del Toro. And it's about a married couple who are ornithologists who are studying bird murmurations and who recently lost their daughter. They go to a remote country home to continue their studies and get away from their grief. Uh, Clint, this has uh, Essie Davis and Andrew Lincoln, both Mm -hmm. of who, you know, were pretty recognizable. What did you think of the murmuring? I I love this one, actually. Like, I I thought it was... um, Jennifer Kent's like mm-hmm. her style, like mm-hmm. it, it felt like um, she did Nightingale, Nightingale right? and yeah. Babadook. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like her style, and uh, man, there was it goes back to that like ordinary life thing that I was talking about, where mm-hmm. this taps into just listening to birds, just a viewing birds, and then there's something under the like in the tapes that you're not shouldn't be there you're no. you're hearing something you're starting to see things that you shouldn't be seeing and it taps into that really well and also man the these characters are fantastic yeah. i i got a sense of them like their relationship 
I believed in them wholeheartedly. I believed them. I cared. Like yeah. within was the hour, I cared yeah. about where they were going, where they came from. I understood them both, even yeah. when they were arguing. Yeah. I had sympathy for both sides of that yeah. argument. I understood that he was trying to move on from his grief, yeah, and he was trying to use just his his physical idea of connection. love for her, physical connection, uh, to to bring her out of grief. But he was not creepy or rapey. No, no. Uh, and, and she's just trying to process the loss of a child, and she's doing it at a different speed and a different mode than he is. And yeah. it's taking a toll on their marriage. But they both love each other and and want to get to a place that they can be normal again. Yep. And it was it was so well realized without exposition. It's not like they were sitting there and able to articulate what they were feeling you had to watch what they were feeling. And yep. you could even feel when they were arguing that the things coming out of their mouth is not doing justice to what's going on in their head and heart. Right. It was messy yeah. in like a real yeah. way. Yeah. Um, it, it was the same like great elements that I like about Mike Flanagan's work, like mm-hmm. in the Midnight Club that I had mm-hmm. talked about or Blair, ha- uh, Blair House or Haunting a Hill House all it, or Midnight Mass. Like he just really takes the time with the characters and this yeah. did the exact same thing where then like the haunting element is more effective. Like yeah. I was actually really creeped out by the haunting yep. and just her like listening intensely and then hearing like a boy, like a kid's voice and um, just the moments where you would see the ghosts and um, the birds uh, in the house or just these elements yeah. that would be easily dismissed elsewhere could have been corny were were not well especially with how like they're such um like perfect like professionals and masters of mm-hmm. in this field of studying birds that they know that this bird like it, this is very strange for these birds to be here and so they're very uh interested in why they're there and like it even adds another like this other level of like mystery to it and like surrealness and yeah I, I find, and, and that goes that goes back to, uh, you know, the seventh episode we just talked about, too, the viewing. Um, you're, you're taking people and you're creating rich characters that feel real and they're encountering something extraordinary, but they're trying to understand it through whatever their lens is. Right. And I, I feel like this, just like the episode before it, even though they're very, very different from each other. Mm -hmm. They both have the same approach to character, which is, you know, how is this person going to internalize and process the information that they're trying to get? Because it it doesn't line up with reality. Right. And so there are things in them that to an extent want to reject whatever they're seeing or whatever Mm -hmm. they're dealing with. And and I felt like this this was another one where he's much more of a skeptic. He's much more of a scientist. But she's a mom who has this desperation to reconnect. And it made total sense why he would be quicker to disbelieve what she's experiencing because she's also experiencing such deep grief that he can't understand. Right. That, of course, he's going to be more dismissive of these supernatural experiences that she's starting to express. Well, and he hasn't witnessed any himself. Yeah, and yeah. also like with their studying of these birds in this, in the strange formations they're mm-hmm. making, like you can see like in both of them are like kind of like, trying to explain it in different ways. There has to be a reason. There, yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
I think also just visually, like when they're just examining and studying the birds out in the wilderness on mm-hmm. this island, it's shot so beautifully. Like just there's so much going for this one. Yeah. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised that that this series ended on such a strong note. Yeah. And didn't put this one like up front. Yeah, and it was it was a very quiet note to end it yeah. on too. Uh, which is nice because it's hard to figure out where to to end an an anthology. Yeah, uh, just tonally, like what, how how do you wrap this up? I would imagine it's almost like an album. You've got to open with something strong, but you want to get stronger, but then you want to end somewhere more. Poignant. Yeah, I know that's true. There's yeah. a lot of albums where they they end on like a poignant moment yeah. like this. Yeah. yeah. All right. So just overall, what's what's your take on the the series as a whole? How effective was this as an anthology? I think this is one of the best anthologies I've really? seen. Even I, though there were a bunch you didn't like. There was only two I would say I didn't. And even I wouldn't even say they were that bad. Mm-hmm. Like there was elements of it I didn't like, but it wasn't like it turned me off to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. It was just I was realizing, oh, these are my low moments for this. But at the same time, I'm not, not they're not awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say... I don't know. I I thought it was really good. Yeah. I I because the ones that I like really liked, I really really liked. So it, it made me excited for the next if they do another um round of this. Hmm. Yeah, for me this this split 4 and 4. 4 I uh either liked to really liked and 4 I just didn't enjoy. And so it it gave me a very scattershot hit or miss kind of feeling. I was I was glad for the four I really liked, but I found that that some of them were so strong it was leaving me on other ones just kind of looking at the time. And oh, I never got that to that point with them. Yeah, and maybe it's because maybe I just binged it and watched too many back to back. Oh, maybe I needed to give them more space. I would watch like two at a time. Okay. Um, maybe that would have helped. Me. Yeah, because then I like would have one that like maybe didn't care about mm-hmm. as much, and then the next one I really really liked. Okay, so what was what was your? How did you rank these? Then? I did my top five. Top five. Yeah. Let me hear your top five. Um, the viewing was my number one. Okay. Um, the outside was um my number two. Did, my, did I say that title right? Yeah, yeah okay. you got it. The viewing, the outside. Um, yeah, and then the murmuring, mm-hmm. um, the autopsy, and then graveyard of rats. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my I have more of a my top four uh, instead of my bottom four. Uh, my top one is the viewing, uh, followed by the autopsy, then uh, the murmuring. And then finally, the the rats. Mm. Uh, what was that one called? The graveyard rats. Yeah. Um, and I could probably, depending on how I feel, like the outside and the murmuring might flip mm-hmm. depending on my mood. But like, I don't know. I, I because the ones I love so like I really liked. Like they were some of the best horror I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. It made this feel a lot stronger for me than gotcha. maybe it does for you. But. Yeah, for me, it was it was interesting because I had a harder time at the beginning. I felt like it was getting off to a harder start, but the middle is where it sagged for me because there it was episode four, The Outside, which, you know, I get it. It's just me, but I just <laughs> not enjoy that. And then it followed with Pickman's model and The Witch House. 
or dreams in the witch house. And it was just three in a row um, that I just did not enjoy right in the middle instead of them being split up. Uh, and I think that that took a toll. Um, but the viewing and the murmuring, I think, were a great way to end it. And I'm almost, I wonder, you know, should those have been flipped? Should the murmuring have gone first and then the viewing just really ended it on a bang? But I, I kind of appreciate the way that it, I, that it yeah, was Yeah, I like those two in that order. I'm, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to a season two of this. Uh, it's certainly been popular enough. They should get one. Um and I, I just I love the idea of short format film and the idea of changing creative teams and just getting different directors on different stories and just see what they can come up with. Yeah. I mean, we had the same reaction to Love, Death and Robots yeah. where like the second season we were so down yeah. on it. And then like the third came back. We were like yeah. every single one was fantastic. Um, and so this just gave me a lot of hope for like yeah. for it because – I don't know as much. I love Guillermo del Toro. So it just, I like that he has this other avenue to explore yeah. horror and like bring in other creative horror um, directors and stuff. And yeah. I, I I was just really excited that it happened. And and I, I find myself more excited about him cultivating an anthology like this than him, whatever his next movie is. Yeah. Just because his movies are so much more hit or miss for me, and there's so much time in between them. I almost wonder if Kevin Smith, you know, just an anthology of just, uh, you know, indie comedy uh, uh, where yeah. where he's just hosting different, uh, you know, people this style mm -hmm. doing different stories. I, I almost think I would enjoy that more at this point than a Clerks 3. Give me, you know, eight filmmakers taking his characters and just playing with them yeah. for an anthology. I would say also like what made me even more like maybe warmer toward this is like all of them are visually really like good. Yeah. And like the 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 quality of them are all really good. Yeah. Like you you I mean I feel like you go back to something like you know, the creep show or any, like, I think they tried to remake creep show mm -hmm. on, and I, I hated that show. It didn't work. It, it was because it was trying to get back to that, like the feeling of the originals and the, like, but the quality, I don't know. There was something strange about that where I just was not on board. Yeah. And this one, I felt like even like the ones I didn't like, the quality was really good. And they got I feel good like actors he, for he it. attracted a, a level of talent. Yeah. I think that's what you get when you attach Guillermo del Toro to an anthology. Yeah. Is and now Netflix he has connections. And yes. And he has people that he's worked with or that he's made connections with over the years. And it carries more weight for, you know, as a Jennifer Kent, when somebody like that's calling you up and saying, hey, we're doing this anthology series. Here's yeah. this short story I wrote. I think you'd be perfect for it. Would you read it and tell me if you want to do something mm -hmm. with it? Um, that's got to be more more attractive to somebody. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. I I would still at the end of the day, even though I'm I'm a little more down on the overall experience than you are, I'd still highly recommend it because again, just for the three I loved, and I I liked you know four, but even the three I loved were well worth watching all eight just to get those because I'll yeah. I'll spend two hours a pop on Amazon when I had COVID, just going through and and watching horror after horror after horror movie with the hopes of finding that gem, at least with a well-cultivated anthology, you know, let's let's say 
you know, you only get 50%. Awesome. You spent less than eight hours and you got well over four hours and four stories that really, really worked and and you enjoyed for different reasons. Yeah. And it's fun because like the ones that maybe didn't hit us as much, somebody else yeah, might really yeah. like. Like, Oh, you loved, uh, what you call it, yep, that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> and like, I thought like the first one was like decent. Like it, oh, ha- yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. Um, but also I'm realizing more and more, like I really enjoy short form stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually prefer like short stories to yeah. like full novels because they're like these things I can uh, ingest like yeah. quickly and I don't have to worry about if I don't finish the entire yeah. book. Um, and the same thing, like I'm, I really enjoy short form yeah. stories like this. It's, it's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, definitely check it out. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying anytime Netflix is, is kind of, it, it feels like Netflix is bringing back the anthology. Uh, yeah, which I appreciate, and it's they're not the only streaming service that's that's got anthology series, but um, I just I enjoy the format. It's fun, and man, get and, any more. And I know I talked about it already on our main episode, but check out the Midnight Club, which is mm. in a strange way its own anthology series. Mm. In a where the centerpiece of this is actually the like connective tissue where it's more about these characters and then every night they meet in the library to tell a ghost story and uh i thought it was such a fascinating way to do an anthology series um one where you really can care about the the center thing that ties it together it's yeah. it's good if you like mike flanagan's work um i think you'll enjoy it as much so much in like the same vein of everything yeah. he's done yeah. big fans all right clint uh i look forward to the next special episode Uh, this has been a very special episode of cenobabble special so special uh go watch cabinet curiosities and if if for no other reason than to marvel at the i'm pretty sure real cabinet of curiosities they built for the beginning of each episode yeah let us know which ones you liked connected with definitely all right clint uh i will talk to you another time i guess stay covid free my friend i will try my best all right bye-bye